Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today's podcast is going to take the format of an interview with the fund manager of the India Capital Growth Fund, David Cornell. David, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Not at all, Jonathan. Thank, thank you for having me. So, of course, as the name suggests, that the fund is focused on India, um, a very interesting economy at this, at this point in time. Um, we've seen significant levels of growth there over the last 10 years. But of course, as all major economies have done, it's seen some detrimental effects of COVID-19. Now, you're sort of managing a portfolio uh, there, David, which, which sort of looking at the top 10 holdings um, is relatively diverse. But due to COVID, what sort of changes have you been making to the portfolio in, in reaction to the economic uh, output that we've uh, been seeing there? Well, Jonathan, to just to sort of take a step back, um, you mentioned that the, the economy has been slowing as a consequence of COVID, which is absolutely right. But in fact, it was slowing quite dramatically prior to COVID as well. Uh, and so we found ourselves in a situation where, you know, actually just as as we were starting to see the green shoots of recovery uh, in the back end of 2019, we then saw the sort of side swipe of COVID come in and take out uh, a lot of the growth. And as India went into lockdown in March, the first quarter GDP recorded a 24% fall, which I think is one of the greatest falls or largest falls of any uh, economy globally um, as a consequence of the harshness of the lockdown. But as you rightly say, we did use the volatility to rebalance the portfolio a little bit uh, as a consequence of what was going on in COVID. The principal changes that we made were to reduce our exposure to the financial sector, particularly the banks that had exposure to unsecured lending, uh, because we feel that uh, 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 you know going forward, the retail consumer in India may struggle as we're seeing in other parts of the, the, the Western world, uh, to repay some of the credit. Uh, and the banks, not just on the retail side, but also maybe on the wholesale lending side, are also going to see an increase in uh, asset quality problems as a result of the slowing economy. So we we took the opportunity to reduce our exposure to the financial sector principally. One other area, uh, two other areas perhaps to mention, one is um, a company with uh, exposure to the global consumer, a, an auto component manufacturer. Again, we saw a big slowdown uh, coming in that area of the, of, the, of the economy globally, and we took some money off the table there. More interestingly, I think there are a couple of themes that are emerging uh, as a consequence of COVID in India, as they are globally. Um, and we've tried to take uh, advantage of the volatility that the market afforded us in the early part of the year to buy into some of these themes. The most interesting one, I think, is the uh, what we're calling the acceleration of the digital economy in India. And again, I think listeners will uh, be able to uh, recognise this happening in our own economy here. A lot more activity online, effectively, um, consumer activity online. And um, in India, it's growing like uh, like a weed. 
as uh, as um, investors, individuals, uh, consumers are trapped at home. We're seeing more and more uh, uh, activity online. Most Indian uh, consumers don't have a laptop. Uh, they all operate through their mobile phone. And so we're trying to find ways to take advantage of the acceleration of that digitalization in the um, uh, in the portfolio. Uh, we bought a company called ICICI Lombard, which is a general insurance company. And again, not surprisingly, we've seen a pickup in demand for general insurance products as a uh, as a consequence of COVID. But ICICI Lombard are kind of one of the leading private sector players in this area of the market. And they're adopting technology themselves to facilitate business. So breaking down the barriers of paperwork and that kind of thing, which, uh, which you know, is impossible to, to, to sort of pull together in a, in a world where we're all locked down. But, but, you know, signing up new customers online is quite easy. Uh, and a lot of the competition in India is way behind, particularly the public sector players in the insurance world, are way behind the technological advances that ICICI Lombard are making. So we're seeing the big get bigger. And the small get eaten up as the technology kind of facilitates um, uh, the ability to react to different market conditions. So that's one example, I think, where, we, um, uh, where we've made some changes. Another theme which is also quite prevalent globally is this what, what, what we're calling the China plus one strategy. Everyone's aware of the problems that exist in China, uh, not least the trade wars, uh, with the United States, but also the disruption to the global supply chain that happened as a consequence of COVID. And India is trying to position itself as a worthy recipient of those global companies that want to adopt a more diversified supply chain, the China plus one, you know, and have production facilities outside of China. So it's not just a cost-driven decision-making process now. It's more about, you know, we need to have more diversification in case China and the relationship with the rest of the world continues to deteriorate. And India is in a good position to benefit from that. Labour costs are one third of what they are in China. Uh, It's an English-speaking country. It's got the rule of law. It is, in terms of ease of doing business, improving a lot. uh, and Mr. Modi, the Prime Minister, has made great strides in the last three, four years to facilitate that. In the World Bank Ease of Doing Business Index, which is uh, judges countries on a number of different criteria as to uh, how easy it is to do business, their India's moved up a long way. It's gone from 135 to 60, something like that. And um, in, in niche areas of the economy, the manufacture of active pharmaceutical ingredients uh, in the pharma chain, India is winning market share from China. In the specialty chemicals area, uh, uh, it's winning market share again. Um, And in other areas like customised research for agricultural uh, chemicals, pesticides, insecticides, it's winning market share. And we've taken exposure to, to a number of those themes in the portfolio. Uh, we own a company called Divi's Laboratories, which is a manufacturer of APIs, uh, and its stock price has done extremely well in the in the COVID uh, um, um, environment. 
PI Industries is a manufacturer of specialty chemicals, particularly for agriculture, and does a lot of customized research for the global pharma companies, the global chemical companies uh, who want to diversify that away from China. And we own a company called RT Industries, which is in the benzene chemical chain. Uh, it manufactures on behalf of some of the big um, companies such as Dow and uh, and Bayer. And uh, again, it's winning market share away from its Chinese competitors. So that's really exciting. And there's another perhaps more tangible aspect too, to this particular theme which we're playing, which is um, the manufacture of electrical equipment. India historically imports all its electrical equipment, most of it from China. I'm talking about mobile phones, uh, TVs, washing machines, that kind of thing. And um, more recently, the Indian government has been trying to incentivize domestic Indian companies uh, to to manufacture more of those uh, that, that that kind of equipment itself. Uh, and we have a company called Dixon Technologies in the portfolio, which is a manufacturer of LEDs. It's actually the fourth largest manufacturer globally of LEDs. And uh, we're starting to see that diversify into manufacturing on behalf of Panasonic, on behalf of uh, Samsung, um, uh, Xiaomi. Uh, and we're starting to see this, what we call this import substitution effect, where India's um, import bill from China is being reduced as companies like Dixon start to manufacture domestically. And not only for export, but also for uh, increased levels of demand for that kind of product within the domestic market itself. So, you know, these are all things that are happening despite the pandemic. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we've we used the volatility that the market's given us in the last three or four months to make those changes in the portfolio. I think I'll stop there because I've, I've, I've been banging on for quite a long time. No problem. So very interesting points in there, David, but I just, just want to come back to give some context to um, listeners. I mean, if we were going to look at the, the US indices, very much dominated by technology stocks, um, and obviously you Apple's, Microsoft, um, Facebook's uh, in there. Then if we, if we take the FTSE 100, uh, it's an, an index which virtually has no uh, technology stocks in there. So it's dominated by you know, energy companies, miners, consumer companies. If you're sort of looking at India and their, their major indices and the composition, what, um, how does that look like in terms of the makeup of technology stocks? Does it have a relatively large proportion of technology stocks or is it sort of further towards a sort of FTSE um, where you know it's very broad maybe sort of more focused on sort of miners and uh, financials etc and, and do you see that sort of moving towards a, a more uh, an indices which is more like the US ones going forward? So um, it's a good point to raise Jonathan and I should say at this point that the Indie Capital Growth uh, Fund is a smaller mid-cap focused fund. So we only invest in 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 smaller mid cap stocks in India. There is a small proportion of large caps in the portfolio, but predominantly, I'm talking about 85% of the portfolio is in mid and small cap. So we need to compare it to that indices rather than the sort of um, the the FTSE or the or the S and P equivalent. Um, and to answer your question, that there is very little exp- direct exposure to technology. Which is ironic because India's technology companies are growing very fast, uh, and there are many of them. 
but most of them are still in the unlisted private space uh, and it's difficult to get direct exposure to them, which is why we try and uh, get exposure through companies like ICICI Lombard, where we see technology facilitating the advancement of their business model rather than through the tech companies directly. Uh, and also where there is tech exposure, it tends to be very keenly priced, as we know from the likes of Google and uh, and others in the US. So we don't want to be overpaying for stocks just because they've got a tech kind of name to them. So we try and take a sort of second derivative uh, um, kind of look at it and get exposure uh, in different in different ways. Uh, in the larger indices in India, there is some tech exposure, but it tends to be more the service-related companies rather than the product-related companies. So the old uh, kind of business model of, um, of maintenance and application development software and that kind of remote uh, using India as a, as a cheap source of, of, of labor and highly skilled labor to provide software support to global Fortune 500 companies. There's a lot of exposure to that in the larger uh, part of the indices, but we don't, uh, we don't invest in those companies for this portfolio. So when we sort of look at these companies here, India, I mean, has a reputation for being a destination for, for outsourcing. Uh, you've obviously mentioned there that they're starting to sort of ramp up manufacturing bases there. But what does it look like on the ground in terms of innovation? We've obviously seen China coming through uh, with Huawei and various um, different uh, companies. Of course, they've got sort of uh, TikTok out there, which is very much in the news. What what's it looking like in India in terms of sort of innovation and, and IP? Is there a, a big increase uh, in activity there, or, or is it still a economy that's very much focused on on outsourcing to different countries? So there are different aspects to it. Um, India's technology is well advanced, and you know when you think about it from a global perspective. The U.S. can't really compete in China and China can't really compete in the U.S. And so both China and the U.S. are competing in India, uh, which has got a population of 1.3 billion people and 50 percent of whom are under 25 years old. So there is a huge potential for innovation in tech in India. And as and it is, you know, particularly as we're seeing the advancement of this digitalization theme, we're starting to see it creep into listed stocks, but most of it's happening in the private market. So we're talking about, you know, online grocery or online restaurant uh, delivery or online uh, consumer activity happens in India as much as it does uh, anywhere else. And in fact, uh, Indians consume uh, twice as much data per person per month than China and probably the leading data consumer globally, they consume about 14 gigabytes of data a month. I think in the UK, we consume about five or six. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, they, you know, they've kind of leapfrogged the PC and the laptop. They do everything through their telephone, everything through their telephone. Uh, payment systems, online purchases, watching videos, playing games, speaking, whatever it is, it all happens through one handset. So there's that huge innovation. But on the flip side, its manufacturing base is very low. It's probably 20 or 30 years behind the rest of Asia in terms of providing high quality uh, manufacturing 
um, services or capacity for export or even for domestic use. And that is one area that Mr. Modi is trying to to leverage because, of course, there's a lot of employment issues in India and they need to create employment opportunities for uh, for a large percentage of the population that's uh, entering the working age group. So they're trying, and, you know, this is the uh, evidence of this we see in this production linked incentive schemes that I referred to earlier, incentivizing companies to domestically manufacture electronics and so on and so forth. That is policies that are being pushed out now. Um, in order to to try and position India in the right way, but it is a long way behind other Asian economies in terms of being able to um, to, to manufacture for export in a meaningful way. That's the opportunity, of course. That's where we think they're going to catch up, uh, and that's where we think um, you know we're trying to position the fund also to benefit from that sort of incremental growth that can come through where other Asian economies have already kind of reached a plateau. I don't know. Have I answered your question sufficiently? Yeah. Yes. Fantastic, and, and I just just want to follow up because you um, you mentioned their demographics, and I think it's a very interesting point here on, on social mobility in India. Uh, traditionally, there's there's been huge uh, huge difference between uh, the rich and the poor in India. It, do you see that um, leveling out going forward? And what could the pace of change be? In that, and does that provide an investment opportunity for you? So I think it's the biggest investment opportunity on the planet. If I'm, if I'm, without sounding, you know, too optimistic about it. I mean, the the, you know, the the leveling up is is a generational shift, um, and will take a long time. And seventy percent of India's population is still rural, and many of them live below the poverty line. Um, but what I can tell you is that the um, GDP per capita in India is about uh, $1,800 a head, $1,500, $1,600 a head, something like that, which is where Mexico was about 45 years ago. And so China, for, for example, is about $6,000 a head. And Fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars a head is a sort of inflection point. You know, once the population average hits around two thousand dollars a head, then everyone starts to buy a washing machine, or everyone starts to buy a mobile phone, or everyone starts to buy a laptop or a university education or whatever it is, and so you get this huge increase in consumption uh, as the GDP per capita starts to rise and passes certain inflection points. And we think India is on one of those inflection points at the moment. And because the population is so large and because it's so young, you know, uh, the developed world has an aging population, which is a, a population that has to save uh, for, for, for households who, who are getting older, who are, you know, uh, employment levels are, are falling. It's a saving, you know, it's, a, it's an old age population as it is in, in, in Germany and to a certain extent in, in the UK. In India, it's a young population, and it's a population that therefore uh, has an appetite to spend. They don't need to save for their old age at this stage. And so there's a lot of positive dynamics working there that could mean the Indian consumer, all four or 500 million of them, are beginning to enter into uh, a sort of um, a phase of, the, of their lives where consumption will be in a larger part of the monthly wallet spend. You know, at the moment, food is the big component of the wallet spend. 
But as as your income rises, obviously, the percentage you spend on food falls, although it doesn't change in absolute terms. So it's a very, you know, it's a generational shift we're talking about. But investors would be wise to be exposed to that, uh, you know, particularly in times of volatility, because that's when you get it into it uh, at attractive valuations. Fantastic. So just to finish off, David, just want to make some comparisons to other uh, emerging markets and, and how you see India growing out of uh, the COVID-19 crisis. I mean, do you see them you know, in a position to really take advantage of, of any opportunities or do you think they may be a little bit slower uh, in, in the short term, um, sort of get, given the, the various factors that we've discussed there, but see that coming through more in, in the long term in their economy and, and the growth that we're going to see there? Well, I think that, you know, the, the way to look at, at this is, and we've, we're seeing it in this country too, you know, when, when crises happen, governments are forced to react. And what we're seeing in India is more energy to reform in order to find different ways to, to, to grow, to substitute the growth that is, is lacking. So we're seeing, you know, the, the, these, these incentives, the, this energy that's going into positioning India as a reliable substitute to China has been fast-tracked as a consequence of COVID. Uh, and this digitalization has been fast-tracked as a consequence of COVID. And it may be that India gets to herd immunity faster than any other country and comes out of it in a better uh, shape than uh, a lot of the developed markets. So I think the the opportunity is very real. And, and the other the other key aspect is that is that Mr. Modi's reform agenda has been ha, has been ongoing for four or five years now. Uh, and as is always the case when structural reform is made, you know, it has a damaging impact on growth and on earnings for some time as we go through an adjustment phase. Effectively, we're moving from a, India's moving from a, a patronage-based system, i.e. bribery and corruption, to a rules-based system, i.e. regulation and law. And that shift is, again, takes time. But a lot of the hard work has been done in terms of the bankruptcy laws, in terms of the demonetization of the economy, in terms of uh, uh, the introduction of an of a indirect tax system, uh, in terms of um, uh, tightening up the regulations across many sectors. And, and, but as investors, we haven't seen the benefit of that yet. Because, uh, because, and we, we, we were just starting to see confidence pick up again as COVID struck. So it could be that when we come out of COVID, India is in a very strong position because a lot of structural hard work has happened, but none of the benefits have yet accrued. And we're at a sceptical low in terms of GDP growth and in terms of earnings growth, which is a great time to invest because, of course, you know, you, if, if the economy starts to grow from 4% GDP growth back up to the long-term average of 7 or even the potential growth of eight or nine, then investors are going to have a jolly good ride. You know, rather do that than, you know, buy in at nine and see it fall to four. Fantastic. So, 
David, just anybody that's looking uh, at the India Capital Growth Fund and wants some more information, what, what's the structure uh, of the of the of the fund, and, and where would it be available to people? It's a it's a it's a closed ended investment trust listed on the yeah. on the LSE uh, India Capital Growth, uh, and the the trust the, the closed ended structure is a good structure for small and mid cap India because it allows us to take positions on a long term view. Because the, the fund is closed, we're not seeing, you know, money coming in and money coming out on a daily basis. And the, 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 the team are not forced to adjust the portfolio to, uh, to react to fund flows, both in and out. So the closed-ended structure gives us the flexibility to buy for the long term. Of course, if you want to buy, uh, get exposure, you buy the shares in the market, on the listed market, rather than putting money directly into the fund. So we think that's a good way of doing it, and investors get the added benefit of buying the the uh, the trust at a discount to its net asset value because of uh, uh, the uncertainty and volatility around COVID. The trust is trading on a big discount to its its net asset value uh, to the real value of the portfolio uh, companies that we have, and it's trading at a eighteen percent discount. So you're buying at you know eighty two p in the pound. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's a real opportunity that you get both the increase in the net asset value and the narrowing of the discount. So it's a geared play on that. Really. Fantastic. So anybody that's listening, we will include a link to the India Capital Growth Fund's website in the notes to this podcast. So do check that out. David, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Not at all, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, uh, very, very very happy to come back and give an update uh, to your listeners uh, in a few months' time, if that would be useful. Yes, of course. I, I think it's going to be an interesting story. It does uh, play out over the, the next uh, six, 12 months. So we'll, we'll definitely be doing that. So David, once more, thank you very much for being here. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.